outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Gym. Hey, before I start the podcast, I want to make a quick announcement. I promised you an after show last week to talk about the previous podcast about agreeing with God. If you'd like to join us for that, it's this Saturday, 1 o'clock p.m. It's January 13th, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That's Pacific Standard Time. Figure it out wherever you happen to live in the world. If you want to join us, see the notes at the bottom of this podcast and find your way there. And now to this week's podcast. Hey, welcome back to number two in 2024 of The God Journey. We had a special podcast last week. I put it out there. I'm not sure where it was going to go, how people are going to respond to it wrestled with whether or not to even do it, uh, hoping to get Kyle on here this week and have him process it from kind of an outsider's viewpoint. He's been around it with me because we've shared it as we've kind of gone through the process, but he hasn't been involved in the times together. And so I'd be hopefully be here. He's not able to do that this week. So he's uh, still busy with the medical emergency. And I know we've been kind of oblique about that because it's not my story to tell, but the crisis is averted. Just so if you're concerned about all that, we're in the kind of aftermath recovery time, and it involves one of his kids, not him. So it's going to be a busy week for him. I thought about skipping the podcast this week, and then uh, I think Sarah said, why don't you have Bob Prater come join you? So I thought, that's a great idea. So Bob Prater, you're a infrequent guest on the podcast, but you've been here before. I've been here once or twice. I'm doing fine. And we're going to find out just how good of an idea it really was. Yeah. Well, and if it's not good, we're just chucking. It. Well, I, I'm all in on that. No one will ever hear it except you and me, and we'll keep it kind of hush-hush from there. So you heard the podcast last week. You've been part of this, whatever it is, team of people who kind of gotten together every couple of weeks. Do you think what you heard last week was a fair summary of what what we've been through? I had a visceral, emotional reaction when I began to listen. And I when I, when I realized where you were heading with the podcast, it filled me with a couple of things. It filled me with delight, and it and and it caused my hope meter to rise. If that makes sense, hope in what? Be more specific. Well, I just found myself being filled with hope from heaven that uh, so much of what we witness on the earth today might not be terminal. There may really be another way. And uh, and as somebody who's been on the inside of of the stuff that you talked about last week, it it also filled me with delight to hear that someone else, specifically you, was reacting exactly the way that I've reacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this time with 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 these folks has been the most beneficial time of my entire spiritual life, and I you know I. I found Jesus when I was 10 years old, and I'm 67. So 57 years of walking with Jesus, it's it's been easily, I mean, not even close, the greatest experience I have ever had. The most challenging, uh, the most hope-filled, the most honest. And to hear you echo those sentiments just sent my heart somewhere. What what would you come out of it, maybe dissimilarly from some of the things I've shared? What has God been doing in you that might be different than what I've talked about? You mentioned apocalypse in the podcast, and that, that that word literally means something different than we have been conditioned to believe. 
It doesn't mean the end. It doesn't mean that things are, it doesn't mean catastrophe, which is what we've all been taught. It literally just means the uncovering of the unveiling. I'm still convinced that we are in the season of apocalypse right now where, where things are being uncovered in every corner of society, whether it be politics, whether it be business, whether it be entertainment, whether it be religion, we are seeing things uncovered at a pace that maybe we've never experienced in our lives. Now, some of that is probably due to the fact that we live in an information age and everybody knows everybody else's business. I mean, I can tell you what my neighbor had for breakfast this morning because of social media. Oh, uh, right? People are still doing that? Still posting breakfast? Yeah, they're still posting their food. Oh, gosh. I need to go have a talk with my neighbor. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. But I, I believe that that at a certain point, uh, the Lord showed me that it's a necessary season for what comes next. Because from where I sit, this is not the end of the story. This is This is not certain catastrophe falling upon the earth i i do believe that we are going to be entering a season of reconciliation and healing unlike anything we have ever seen but first everything's got to be uncovered we've got to know what it is that we're dealing with and we've got to be able to know who we are and if if there's been anything that i've taken from this time with with this group of people is I've had to look at myself in the mirror a little bit differently. And and the concept of holding pain and hope simultaneously, I guess intellectually I always knew it. Although the streams of the churches that I've been in over the years would say that suffering and pain is not godly, that you know they would try to pray that away and maybe cast it out. I look at those things through a different lens today. Yeah, we may, we may get back to some of that, but you were talking about the two aspects of the apocalypse. We think of John using it in Revelation, the book we call Revelation is Apocalypse. Right. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's him being uncovered so the world can see. But you're talking right. also about there's an uncovering that's going on of the lies and delusions and places where people have hid their brokenness and pretended to be something they weren't for the sake of cameras and media and getting a, a list of followers and then finding out there's a real corruption underneath that. And that's that's been in almost every area of society, as you said, and in every area of what we call the church. Not necessarily Jesus' church, but where people have led ministries and abused women, where people have abused kids, where people have absconded with money, where it's been more about their ego uh, in the name of uh, use God's prophecy and God's this and God's that to feather their own nest, so to speak. And yeah, it is time for that to be uncovered. I think that that's a real, because to know the real, you've got to unmoor yourself from the faults. And you do. And, and it's it's easy for us to to just follow along blindly. I I think it's interesting that in this season, uh, our mutual friend Anna LeBaron is front and center in a Hulu documentary called Daughters of the Cult, which deals exactly with religion being used to abuse and gain power. It, it is infinitely interesting to me how all of this works and. And unfortunately, the, the the cultic behavior of an evil leader like Herbal LeBaron, who, who murdered people, we think it's 
kind of contained in that world. Apparently, it's not because we're seeing it in worlds that touch us. I'm seeing it in worlds that touch me. I'm seeing it among people that I know as they've reached out saying, I don't know what to do now because what I thought is not really true. And it's not not, not necessarily right on the level of murder, as you just no. said. That's really extreme. But there's other ways that, and I think that's true of a lot of ministries as I've, not just even recently, as I've watched it over eons of time, as long as I've lived. I've, I've, I've lived a long time, and I was involved in the charismatic renewal when I was pre-teenager. So I've been, I've been around a while, and I've seen a lot of stuff that claimed to be godly yeah. and probably started out that way. And we, we get the idea that God, you know, needs perfect people before he does anything. So when, when something is unmasked later on, and then the whole life is a fraud, and then we get real confused as to who God is. The problem is, I think the amassing of power and influence twists somebody's way of thinking and their sense of indulgence and even whether it's sexual appetites or material appetites or whatever— a success in ministry seems to always lend itself more to depravity than it does to God's glory coming through the life. And uh, I find that interesting that when people see it then happen, then they want to throw out everything that that ministry may have said or done or that person may have said or done. Instead of saying, oh, there's a real danger. God warned us about it with David. I'm going to make him king or Saul, I'll make him king. But it's going to cost you and it's going to cost him. Right. He's going to take kids to war. He's going to take your daughters into his harem. He's going to, because something about humanity can't handle being in an influential status without using it as leverage for their own amusement or their own depravity. No, it's true. It's Sad. true. And you, a good example with King David. My favorite example from scripture is Gideon, who was the least of the least. I mean, the most non-assuming person ever brushing wheat at a wine press yeah and uh and the the angel of the lord comes and says mighty man of valor and it, i can i can see gideon looking around saying who are you talking to yeah. who are you talking to i'm the least important member of the least important tribe why are you coming to me and we cannot deny that he was used to set the entire nation free from tyranny and cannot deny it but read the end of the story it says that Israel, when once they were settled again and safe, began to pay homage to Gideon. They brought him their gold and their silver, and he accepted it. Yeah. It he didn't end well. And it, it so this is an ancient story, but we cannot we, we cannot deny that Gideon was used to set the children of Israel free doesn't change that part of the story either. So all these men and women that we see in the, you know, in the news or on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, or, you know, wherever, wherever we get our stuff, it doesn't mean that they didn't do good things. Well, it doesn't mean we, they, they weren't following God for a season of their lives. Cause the, correct. the story is how the story of scripture is how easy it is to get distracted from that. Yep. Even the early church, you'd think the cross would have protected us from that, but even the early church, Paul's down to saying everyone in Asia has deserted me, and that's Ephesus and Colossae, and that, that's so many of the churches that he was part of and helped plant, and they've all abandoned him for a gospel that wasn't the gospel at all anymore. So 
Somehow, the bent of our humanity is, let's use some of God's things that we get to amuse ourselves for our own benefit, and then end up missing out on that ongoing just dependence on who God is and who He's making us to be, and the authenticity of living our lives as still, none of us are perfect. I'm not, you're not, none of us are. And when we lose that sense and have to speak as the oracle of God, and everything I say is absolutely the way it's revealed, then then we're on a then we're on a bad track. No, we're, we're well. I mean, it's like I, I think of the scripture that says, "Oh, uh, Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How did you go back into this?'" But our tendency is just tell me the rules. I'll do my best to follow them, and we feel safe in the in the in the system of rules and regulations and do this don't do that eat this don't eat that meanwhile we know there's a better way there's a better way in his grace there's a better way when we when we examine what the cross really was yeah what's warmed my heart about the podcast last week is the emails that i've gotten from people and i'll just share a couple of them please uh, some of these are on the blog some are just uh, personal to me and i i've got a bunch of texts, and they're they're a lot like this. This is from a mid twenties woman back in uh, Maine. She said, "Just wanted to quickly reach out and let you know that your latest podcast deeply resonated with me, mm. and I feel God has been revealing all of those same things to myself as well as a close friend of mine over the past few years." Thanks for sharing. I wrote her back to say, "What are those things? I would love to hear the things you're saying, especially if they're a little bit different than what we're saying, because it's the Wisdom of God spread throughout the body of Christ, not any one piece of it that gets it. This from Doug, a little different age group, said, From the start of the podcast, I just started weeping. I connected so much to what you said. I want to be part of what God wants to do in this world and feel so inadequate. But to think through love, rest, and play with Father, this almost 76-year-old man can hear from Father and be his light through the love that he shows through me is an awesome thing. I don't know how to put into words all the thoughts, but I'm also praying with you and your group for light to be brought on delusion. And uh, I responded to him by saying, don't pray for our group. Our group is really nothing. And no, the one thing I hesitated in even doing the podcast last week or continuing to think about is the group becomes a focus. The personalities in the group become a focus. Honestly, there's 34 other people I know that I could have invited into that. Of course. These are the ones we felt like God wanted to invite. And for whatever reason, it wasn't status, maturity. It wasn't anything other than it was people who had been on a journey for decades into God's love. And we wanted to see what we'd come up with together if we just sat with God. And so I I, I don't want any folks. And I just said, why don't you just join us in prayer? Why don't you pray? Why don't you listen? Why don't you share out of what God begins to sow in your heart? And I think that's what encourage me most. I, I think after I recorded the, the last podcast, I had the sense that this is going to take me down a road. I don't know where it's going to lead. I, I, always, I already think the prayer time was doing that. <laughs> now I'm going, right. putting that out into the world. I mean, I, that's either going to cause anger for some people. And I, I'm a genuinely concerned that it might for people I love. Same. But I think I, I like the idea that just if you've gotten caught in a delusion somewhere, uh, join the club. I have. Uh, I, I don't know if you would say that too, Bob. There have been times in your past you believe stuff Truth. that didn't turn out to be true. And it's not a question of I mean, I, I think the 
more institutional Christianity that a lot of us grew up in, it's always between those who are in and those who are out. And so even if you caught on the delusion, well, that means you're not saved and God doesn't love you and you haven't been following him. That's what it means. Instead right. of, no, you just got caught in a delusion because some people knew how to manipulate that. And you might have overstepped your yuck meter when God was trying to say, hey, hey, slow down here. But joy, that's not a that's not a you're a God's enemy and he's against you. It's not any of that. No. Because you're deeply loved by God and God's inviting us to see the light and see what's true. And when the revelation of Jesus keeps coming into the world, you want you want all of us want to be in a place where we can respond to the light. Yeah. Instead of react in our own personal defensiveness to justify ourselves. There's right. no reason to justify ourselves anymore. That has been done in Christ. So we get to behold, hey, where light has come in my life, great. Where I thought stuff was light turns out to be darkness. I get to recognize that and get to live a different journey. Something that has resonated with me, Wayne, just the invitation to come up here and gaze, not at him, but with him, back upon creation. There's there. I don't know that there's anything, any exercise, any practice that I've encountered that has shifted my heart more than simply gazing with him and allowing myself in a very small way to see what he sees and to feel what he feels and to realize that some of the frustrations, I mean, my gosh, this this journey, I have I have a lot I, I can identify with you, Wayne. I've lost more friends than I can begin to remember. I can't even count them. And I mean lost them. They they don't want to have anything to do with me these days. But there are times that I thought, I'm just walking this road alone. When I began to gaze with him, oh Lord, you're feeling that too wait a minute it's not just me and it's not just other you too you feel abandoned oh and to and to be able to allow myself against all odds to embrace pain as part of the journey and realizing that it is possible for two things to be true at the same time i can hold that pain and I can still hold joy. I mean, complete unbridled joy, even while I hold the pain. In the same moment. In the same moment. It's not like you vacillate between the two. So I no. have some happy hours no. and some really sad hours, and it's not. No. It's Simultaneous. Not, yeah, it's just being with God. Yeah. And letting him process both my stuff and me helping process his stuff. I mean, that I just think that's. Most incredible moment. I was talking with a, a friend in the aftermath of this podcast uh, the other day, and he was just sharing how so much of this had touched his heart and life in a way that was, I mean, he 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 and I are good friends. So we've talked through some of these transitions, the gazing with, uh, the some of that. We, we've talked about those things before. But he was also sharing something really fresh in his life where there had been just a lot of pain and there was resentment surfacing out of his heart. And after, after we had that conversation, he wrote me and he said, you know what, let me find it here. He said, seeing the, pain, seeing the pain, the betrayal and loss in my life over the last few years, over the years, as a gift is hugely helpful to me. Because that's what I talked about. 
because he's dealing with resentment and he's dealing with the pain that's come from family stuff when he was younger to business stuff and when he's older. And I just said, you know, you and I probably wouldn't have a friendship if you hadn't been through those things. He said, what do you mean? I said, what I resonate with in you, that stuff helped produce. It's like the pain in my life has helped produce stuff. It changes the way you see God and that shapes the life that God seems to want shaped for what's to come in terms of apocalypse or whatever. Right. And he wrote me back this and he said, seeing the pain of betrayal and loss in my life over the years as a gift was hugely helpful to me and gives me the ability to let go of the resentment. James 1, 2 to 4 came to mind. This is how Eugene Peterson says it. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. So you become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. Isn't that beautiful? I look at that, and I've been through some stuff, man. I've been through some roads, even since this group's been meeting for three years. And I look back now with that same sense of, I wouldn't be here. And not that I love that pain and would love to repeat that pain. And it's not that. It's just that forced me to find God, to be with God in ways that I wouldn't have been if those things hadn't happened. And those things shaped something and how I see God and how I see my own life and how I see others around me. Yeah. That's, that's done a wonderful work in me. They are gifts. I used to read stuff like this in James or Romans about, thank God when suffering comes on. I'm going, oh my God, you guys are out of your mind. Out of your minds. Because we were taught to resist it all, right? Fight it, fight we it, were. fight it. Instead of, no, here's, here's the pain. Not blame it on the devil. I can blame it on broke. I can blame a lot of my pain on broken humanity. That's for sure. Sure. But I, I tell you, it's it, and it, not that God orchestrated because he wants me to be a certain kind of person. It's just when you live in a chaotic world with a grip on who Jesus is and the hope that's in him, yeah. things that could destroy you actually help shape you. And that's what all the New Testament writers are saying, but I never understood it in that context. Well, we didn't be... To me, life is like a tapestry where threads come in as we live, and uh, it's not over till it's over. And then there's a complete picture that hangs on a wall. I, you know that I've been down some roads. Yeah. When I, you know, I, I was raised a certain way, and uh, and the one of the beautiful things that I learned in the midst of this journey uh, of holding pain and realizing, gazing with him was that there is a retroactive nature to this. It's not confined by time. It doesn't mean just today, and it doesn't mean just tomorrow. Because, Wayne, I found myself as, as a six-year-old boy again in Stockton, California, hiding in a closet, so afraid because of the things that were swirling in my home and i mean i saw stuff but it was it was the most it was the scariest moment of my life in that closet and uh in the midst of this of gazing with him ah, he was in there with me 
He was in there. I didn't know that. He he was there at every act of violence and and dysfunction that was in the home. Every time these things happened, every time I would go and hide under my bed or run out into the backyard to get away, he was there and he was in pain. He was feeling every bit of what that little boy felt. Yeah, and if we could hear God's words, I'm sorry you're going through this. Oh, boy. But the God I was taught, well, if God was with me, he would have stopped it. He would have fixed it. He would have changed it. Right. Instead of, no, that's not really fair. And on the shack, we got the question early on, some pre-reads uh, before it was published about, well, where's God? I mean, God has this, Mac has this great experience. Where's God with Missy? And so we added that part about he's with her in the truck, too. Yes. Whenever she goes through, she didn't go through it alone. And I, I know it's a fictional story, but I think that's true of every bit of pain in our lives. And Sarah... Sure. The biggest transition for her going through the trauma that she uncovered, uh, God uncovered for her a couple of years ago, we're talking about an apocalypse, what God began to reveal about a past she didn't know she had, was in one of the last experiences of abuse that she had recall, Jesus shows up in the bathroom. And it, it just, it, this same impact that you're talking about from your own story is just, okay, if he was there, and can he be there in our pain and not fix it. And I think on the other side of that, can we be with God in his pain and try not to fix it? I had this discussion with some people back east on Sunday who did a Zoom session for people that want to talk a little bit, a specific group of people. And they want to talk more about Southern Church Churchy more, but we got a little bit into the podcast because they'd heard it. And they were talking about how we seem to stumble off the pathway when we try to fix stuff for God. Right. We're talking about Peter's concern. I mean, he couldn't watch with Jesus, couldn't. Because he couldn't watch, the very next time we see him, he's drawing a sword to strike off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, right? It's it's not, all those motives of Peter's. I'm going to protect my friend. I'm going to you know not let anything happen. Was fighting against the thing God was doing because God does stuff that we can't put our heads around. How is he going to let the most pure Jesusy miracle worker teaching guy get slaughtered so horribly on a cross? How is he going to? How is that a part of our salvation? And what I, I think they said, some of the prophetic stuff they'd been involved in previous to our conversation, they were saying was always trying to fix stuff for God. And I think that's where delusion sets in. Can we be with God and not try to fix him or it? Can God be with us and not necessarily fix the it, but touch something deep in us that makes a transformation happen? allows us to be more in touch with his heart for the world. Well, that, that is always the goal. Is it, 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 this is, the, the whole story is about transformation inside of us. It's, it's much like when, when you say trying to fix the world, well, remember, Sarah is the world. Jeez. Remember? Yeah, I do. We see the, the fruit of trying to fix for God societies, people, we're seeing it right now with with the rise of of Christian nationalism, with the with all the things that we hear about on the news. Uh, meanwhile, I connect with the story of Ezekiel with the dry bones, where the Lord didn't tell him to go put his hands on him. He didn't say go fix this for me. Put those put those bones together. 
he literally just said, speak the truth to the bones. Mm -hmm. Speak. speak the truth to the bones and they'll live. So I think that's what we're called to do is to speak when we, when, when opportunities arise, we speak the truth, the best that we know. And even then, not as an attempt to fix, as a, as a way to love. As a way to love. Because I couldn't fix Sarah. When you say Sarah's the world, yeah, I, it was very clear. I couldn't fix what was broken in Sarah. I could just simply walk with her. Right. I could be in her life. I could love her. I could hold her. I could cry with her. And I, I couldn't fix it. Only God could fix it. Right. I think that's a big part of the whole gazing with God thing. One of the things we shared, I shared on the podcast, and this has been true for me, I'd say absolutely true, that when we started, I had a sense that what God wanted us to agree with him about, we wouldn't see it if he told us today. We would reject it. We just couldn't see that. And now three years in, I'm going, the stuff he's been showing us to this point, three years ago, I was not in a frame of mind that I would have headed down this road. Would you say the same thing? I, I, I would, unequivocally, Yes. <laughs> And so I don't know what else is beyond this. I, I'm sure there's more, because I don't think we've gotten to that. What is it that he wants to agree with? It's taken him three years to get to this point where we kind of like, oh my gosh, we're enjoying how this experience is unfolding. But we still don't know as yet what it is that God wants us to agree with him about. But the idea of it just being, watch with me. Right. Don't try to fix this, because it's not in your hands to fix it. Don't generate a movement, a following, a mailing, don't do any of that stuff. Just watch with me. Right. Encourage what I hope the podcast did last week, and what I see from the email I'm getting, it encouraged a certain kind of person on the planet. And I don't yes. know if that's a lot of people or a handful of people, but it's encouraged people saying, I want to be part of not this, not the group we're in, but I want to be part of gazing with God and someone asked me, what does it mean to stand with God? Because that will you stand with God against the delusion that's in the world. So somebody said, could you explain more what standing with God looks like? Do you have any thoughts about that? Are you asking me? Yeah. No, I don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would be a liar if I, I would be trying to be all fancy right now. But I, I no, I don't know what that means other than, you know agree with him. And what does that, I don't even know what that means. And, and when you talk about, we don't know what this, what, where, where this means to agree with God and where this is going. I get the sense that the journey is the destination. I think this is going to go on for a minute. Uh, it may, it may for sure. What I think was it's moved from standing with, what it was standing with God look like. It means watching with him. Right. It means that love rest in play that can gaze at the world through his eyes, right. can feel his agony inside our own, can shed any sense that that agony would lead to vengeance. I, I think that's, I think delusion is caused, the word fury, or it's a great one that was used in the charismatic fury, revival fury or whatever. It's fear and fury. I'm afraid of what's happening. I've got to grab something. Or I'm frustrated that other people are keeping me from the life I want to live. And so other people have just become your tools. If, if you're concerned about their unrighteousness, then they're just, it's really about you. It's back to you. Right. Lewis and I did a wedding for Lewis recently and uh, his daughter. And uh, in the midst of the wedding, it's kind of hysterical because there's some dysfunction in families like there almost always is. 
And people were wanting certain things out of the wedding or offended by certain things. And we, we had a running joke the whole time of going, because he had this dream a long time ago about Jonah and why did Jonah do what Jonah did? And Jesus is asking Lewis the question. He's trying to answer it. And then finally, Lewis strikes on Lewis in the dream. He's sitting on a park bench, by the way, talking to ah. talking to <laughs> Jesus in a park. Yep. And uh, so he finally said, why am I trying to answer this for Jesus? Jesus, why did Jonah do what he did? And Jesus looked at him and said, because he made it about himself. That is the most powerful line I think I've heard in the last four or five years. And I've heard a lot. We'd sit at the wedding and go, making it about themselves. It's not about the bride and groom. It's not about their wedding. They're making it about themselves. Where they're sitting, where they're not sitting, what they were invited to, what they weren't invited to, what song was or wasn't done, what was my child involved, not involved. I just go, they're making it about themselves. And that, that's humanity, right? That's broken, yeah. chaotic humanity. Right. We kept refreshing. And I hear that so often in my life when stuff goes on now. I'm hearing, you're making it about yourself. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't right. want to go down that road. That's not the road of love. I want to learn the road of love. It's not about me. It's about him. And it's about the right. people around me and how my life touches them. For me, one of the, one of the biggest revelations and something that has set me at a, at a place of probably as much freedom as I've ever had in my life, I, I discovered the freedom to not have to be angry with those with whom I disagree. Part of that was the book that you and I were involved in with the language of healing. And, and some of that has been a long, long road, uh, as, as Eugene Peterson would say, a long obedience in the same direction. Part of that came through, I, I felt like revelation from scripture, John chapter eight, when, when Jesus said he didn't, he didn't tell these religious leaders that they re, were refusing to see or refusing to hear. He said, you can't. It's impossible. You you cannot see me. You you don't know who I am. And you can't know who I am. He acknowledged the blindness and the deafness. Even while he was traveling around in the countryside from place to place, healing blind and deaf people. But he didn't heal them. Uh but when I when I began to let that sink in, I suddenly I, I could no longer be mad. At my at at a blind person for running into the same wall over and over again, I just can't. If you think that that politics is the answer, if you think that the political church is is where it's supposed to be, I cannot dissuade you, and I'm not going. But I cannot judge you either. I can't judge a deaf person for not being able to hear me when I speak, and so that that has brought me an element of freedom where I. I just take my hands off and say, Lord, instead, what I'm doing is I'm asking him, Lord, can you give me the ability? And I, I like to ask him for the impossible. I, I've, I've asked him for so many impossible things over the years. And so this is the new one. Lord, would you give me the ability to, to heal those who are blind and deaf, but not physically, those who just cannot see and cannot hear? because of this world and the decisions that they've made and where they happen to be and the leaders they happen to follow. Lord, can I have that ability where I can walk in, recognize it, and with a word, open their eyes? I see that he did it. He did it in the, in the physical, in the natural. 
so why not me? So that's where that's where my flag is right now. Lord, give me that ability. But if he didn't do it in the spiritual, why you? Uh, because he showed it to me. <laughs> could be. That'd be awesome. I, yeah, I, I think no, I, I I think I think that there's there's going to be people on this earth that are going to have that ability to step into these situations. And maybe that's true. When I hear that, what I think of is love is always the conduit to truth. Right. So if you can't see, you don't need a miracle to help you see. Right. You need somebody to love you enough to make you secure enough to ask the questions that will help you see. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think that's what Jesus was doing with the Pharisees. I don't think he's like, I don't want you guys included in this. It's you can't see right now. I'm offering you stuff that will, if you go down this road, it'll open your eyes to stuff. And if you don't go down this road, you're going to stay in the darkness. And I can't help you there because it's not a matter of some physical eye that's shut. No, I agree. It's a heart that's shut because you don't know you're loved. And the people I know that are the most lost, I just look for ways to love them. That's it. Even if it's leaving them alone, if that's what loves them because they don't want to be near me... I can give you that gift. I can give you the gift of absence. It's in my power to do that. Right. But never stop loving and never stop holding you before God and talking to God about you and gazing with him because I think love is what opens the door. I do too. Greater delusion that's in the world to blind. But I like your heart about I can't blame them. I'm not going to blame them for not seeing. I, I, I can't. And and plus, Wayne, I, I think there's there is a lack of contentment on the earth. I mean, in Philippians, Paul talks about, he says, I have learned. So we know it's a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. He wasn't born with it. He said, I have learned to be content in every situation, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, he was writing that letter from prison. And literally at the beginning of, of Philippians four, when he says rejoice, and again, I say rejoice, that word can be translated not just as give praise to God and, and be exuberant in your, you know, whatever. That word literally means contentment. Be content. And again, I say be content. He saw this thing in the book of Philippians as very, very important. And Danette and I, my, my wife Danette and I were watching either a movie or something. And, and uh, there was a, a situation where one of the, one of the main characters was being propositioned with money to do something wrong. And he said, your fatal mistake was offering this to a man who is content. I cannot be bought. I'm content in my life. Mm. And I think if we can find that level of contentment, uh, and I, and I, I, even the stuff that I see in the political world, it's all can be tied back to a lack of contentment. We just think that there's something, it's just like in the garden with, with Adam and Eve. We think that, that the Lord is keeping something from us, and we've got to wrestle it from his arms. Meanwhile, we've got everything we need. Yeah, if fear and fury are the things that open us to delusion, because we want to fix it, we want to find a place of comfort again. It's that yep. amygdala, fight, flight, fawn, I've got, to, I've got to make the habitat secure again, and I'll grab onto anything that makes me feel secure. Right. Then it shows how important that contentedness really is, right? Because if I'm content, 
I'm content with God's goodness. As a young man, I was always frustrated that God was not giving me what I thought I deserved and what I wanted and what I prayed for, And right? Angry and frustrated all the time. And I think that's why I miss things about God's love and how much suffering and hurt can be folded into his purpose. I never think God orchestrates it. God's not out there, I'm I'm giving you bad stuff to make you a better person. I don't believe that at all. I just think God knows living in the chaos of a broken creation, you can either let that own you because you're going to try and fix it or try and create this safe habitat for yourself, or you're going to trust me to walk with you through it. And like you said, if you're contented in whatever circumstance you're in, with the lot, with the little, with pain in your life, with joy, if you're just content, then it it, it helps the eye. It's kind of like the drops you put in your dry eyes to make them see better. It really salves over the stuff that the enemy really uses to offer you a very comforting lie that exactly. isn't true, but I like it. I think of my friend in, in Arizona when I was through there a couple of years ago, and he just said he's got some family situations going on. And he just said, you know what? I had to come to this realization. They didn't want the truth to be the truth. And now all you're left with is just to love them until they want the truth to be the truth. Right. And contentedness goes a long way. I love that. Contentedness goes a long way. But contentedness is very tough to learn. Well, it is. I will even go this far, Wayne. I, I don't. I don't know that that being part of this group with you where we have been gazing with God and learning to hold dual things at the same time. Or better said, learning to gaze with God. Learning to gaze, yeah, right. I, I don't know that I would have even been remotely uh, being impacted the way that I am now if I hadn't first learned contentment. It was uh, it was something that completely shifted everything for me, as I learned to be okay with. I'm grateful for what I have. I don't need more. Um, and I and, and I look for ways to give away what little we do have, uh, because I don't want to be that guy that holds on. It's not just contentment in material things, right? It's contentment even in the struggle with your own flesh. It's contentment. Every, yes. Oh, look, I screwed up again. You've had incredible physical pain since I've known you that you've navigated, and a right. contentedness in the journey of the pain. Not oh, I love pain. Pain's great. This is fabulous. I can handle this. It's not that. There's a contentedness in I've got this before God, right? And God's navigating me through it. If He wants to heal it, great. I'd take it tomorrow. If He's not healing it that way, I'm willing to walk in this place and let the the chaos of the world physically alter right. the landscape of my heart and make me more sensitive, dependent on who God is, is beautiful. It's crazy. If you had told me a couple of years ago, Bob, here's what's going to happen. You're going to begin to see through a different lens. Friends are going to be very uncomfortable with you. People you have done life with are going to desert you and walk in a different direction and not even give you the time of day. You're going to lose uh, a friend of 40 some years that was like a brother to you and you're going to find contentment mm-hmm. and you're going to have all those surgeries. And, you know, I just had spinal fusion surgery again. And you're living in a abandoned oil field that uh, <laughs> oil's leaking up in your backyard. And 
I, I'm telling you, it, and that thing, yeah, that's a podcast in and of itself. It's becoming Aaron Brockovichy. Yeah. Um, Watch how you say that. <laughs> but at the same time, if you told me, Bob, as you go down these roads, you're going to find contentment. That's completely not how the plot is supposed to go. Yeah. And yet here I am as living proof of all of it. And that's something, again, if you want to learn contentment, you don't, you don't learn it by going to a contentment seminar, right? <laughs> no. You've got to somehow find that in Jesus' love for you. Although I've thought about how can I market this contentment stuff? Hey, that's the first road to being uh, Gideon again, right? The, I know it is. <laughs> the the post-Redeemer Gideon. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 